I am glad to be here. Uh, the last few weeks have been the longest time I have ever not been here. Um, it's been a crazy couple of weeks, and um, so much I want to share with you all. As I spent a, a couple of weeks with my, my 14-year-old daughter in DePaul, and um, visiting and on a missions trip with two other fathers and the daughters from our campus here with a, a partner organization that we support uh, in Nepal called Our Daughters International that is rescuing young girls from being trafficked across the border of Nepal and India into Delhi. And um, it's a pretty horrendous thing. It was, a, it was an amazing thing that I got to experience and go there and be with my daughter and so much I want to share with you all. But again, I just want to say, as I, I say this often, and I don't want it just to quickly go by you, I often say thank you for your generosity in this place. Your generosity isn't just for this place. And I wish sometimes you could go and see the places that you're impacting as a large portion of Woodside's budget goes to global partners. And I got to see firsthand and I got to see and witness young girls that have been rescued out of the most utter darkness you can imagine and, and life transformation. I mean, this is maybe one of the first times in my entire life I saw like external transformation, like visual transformation in individuals, like unbelievable transformation of horrendous things that have happened to them in their lives, but yet they have more joy and hope in Jesus. Pretty amazing and unbelievable, and I uh, could share some pretty amazing stories as well uh, with you, and I'm sure I will in, in different sermons in the future. Got caught in a pretty crazy storm, about 4,000 feet in elevation, had to abandon our tents and hail, and it was amazing and fun. And then, man, um, this last week, I was on spring break, and if you notice, I'm limping around a little bit. Unfortunately, I'm pretty sure I ruptured my right Achilles uh, this last week. And so, um, yeah, last year was my left Achilles. This year is my right. And um, I'll just tell you, man, I'll just be completely honest with you, Candid. It's been a crazy, it's been one of those years. All of that, it's a long rehab. My dad died, my aunt died, my grandma, I mean, it's just been one of those years. I don't know, maybe God's just trying to figure out something. You're like, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm Jonah. You guys need to throw me overboard or something. Um, but uh, man, it's going to be fun uh, trying to figure out what rehab and surgery and all that looks like. So pray for me in that. I go meet with surgeons tomorrow. But the reason I'm limping around is because of that. My wife is not here at the service, so give me grace. She told me I had to wear my boot, and I told her this is the last week I'm going to be able to wear regular shoes. And so I am not wearing a boot today. I'm just walking around and limping, and so it'll be easy for the camera guy back there. I'll just be standing right here, not moving. I'll be holding on for dear life. Uh, but no, I'm excited to preach today and open up God's word as I've been gone the last number of weeks. And man, if you're new here, I just want to say thanks for being here. My name is Jim. Um, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I do a lot of the teaching, and so I'm so glad you're here. And uh, I'm excited to open up John chapter uh, 1 with you this morning. John chapter 1 together. Um, we're in a series called The Essentials, Why Truth Matters, where we have been really walking and tracking through over the last couple of weeks through the Apostles' Creed. And again, I just want to say thank you to our staff. Matt, our, our, our student ministry pastor, and then Alex, uh, the last couple of weeks have been filling in and preaching and doing an amazing job as I've been watching online myself. And, and we've been tracking, and we're going to continue today walking through the Apostles' Creed as it kind of affirms as a guide 
for us. This isn't scripture, but we're using scripture as to why it was written in a nine-part series. And our endeavor is just to teach through essential doctrines of the Christian faith in very simple language, make it compelling for believers because we live in a day and age where there's not, what is truth and why does it matter and what does it look like? And there's a lot of false truths. And man, these are key pivotal doctrines of the church. And if you don't think doctrine matters, right doctrine leads to right living. Right belief leads to right living. It's, it's very essential that you believe the right things about Scripture. It's very essential that you know what is right, that it, what is true, and, and what the Lord has for us. And so I'm, I'm super pumped about tracking with you through this series. And, and as we enter into it, today we're going to look at a section of the Apostles' Creed that says this, I believe in Jesus, his Son, our Lord... He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, Mary, of the Virgin Mary. And before we enter into John, I just want you to wrestle with a question I have for you today, and I'll come back to it again at the end. And the question is this, what is your view of Jesus? And if you're watching online and someone just kind of sent you the link and you just jumped online, I'll ask you the same question. What is your view of Jesus? Who is he to you? And this isn't just kind of some random question. It matters. Do you believe what the Bible says about Jesus? Because the answer to this question, it matters immensely. And actually, it will impact your life now and your eternity. What you do with Jesus is of utmost importance. And sadly, I believe, many people view Jesus inside the church as well as outside the church, their view of Jesus is lacking. It's really lacking. Even people that come into these doors every single Sunday, even sometimes in my own mind, my view of Jesus is lacking. We need a much bigger vision of who he is and what he's done. Because it will radically transform the way that we live our lives. The honest truth is the reality is that our spiritual lives are immensely bound to our size vision of Jesus. Our spiritual lives, how we function, how we live, are immensely bound to our view, our vision of Jesus. And we, when we fully grasp and see the glory of who Christ is in the scriptures, it will enlarge our, our spiritual lives and journeys in every level. And if you have... If you're here today or you're watching online and you have an impoverished view of Jesus, you will have an impoverished view of God because Jesus is the perfect image of who God is. He is God. And if you have an impoverished view of him, you will have an impoverished view of God and therefore you will have a lacking life in Christ. We will not live up to what he calls us to because Jesus, as we're going to see today, shines the light on God. I mean, in John's chapter, in first chapter, Man, there's this eternal God that's always been there, that's always there. He's always been in a perfect relationship with God the Father and God the Spirit. And he, he created the world. Man, we need to get this view of Jesus. He makes God known to every one of us as he enlightens God to each of us. I mean, Jesus is much bigger than our imaginations even and what we can experience. And while there are uh, a ton of different texts that we could jump into show this section of the Apostle Creed. 
We're going to drill down in John chapter 1 today and show and how affirm this truth that, that Jesus is the Lord, the Son of God. And what we're going to see today is that Jesus shines the light on God. Now, there's a lot of nuances to that, but Jesus shines the light on God. And I'm just going to show you in three different texts, three different sections of the text, in John chapter 1, how Jesus actually does that. And so if you look with me, in John chapter 1, this is what it says, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so how does Jesus shine the light on God? The first thing is that through his relationship with God, he shines the light on God. Now, let's just focus on verses 1 and 2 for a moment uh, together. It says, in the beginning was the Word. So the Word here, I just want you to give you the, 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 the free thing at the very beginning. The Word is Jesus. It says, in the beginning was the Word. What we're going to come to see is the Word is actually Jesus. In the Word, in the beginning was Jesus, and the word was, literally that word for was in the Greek there, has an imperfect tense meaning that it was continuing. So it wasn't just was, but it was continuing. So in the beginning was continuing God. And what he's saying, the idea is that there's never been a time when Jesus, the word, did not exist. He was pre-existent. He's always been existing. So man, our view of Jesus should change and shift. If you're here today, you're watching online, and you believe that Jesus was created at the time of birth, that Jesus has always been there, pre-existing for all time. And he wasn't just there at the beginning. He says that he was the beginning with God, and the word was with God, meaning the Father and Son were actually in continual face-to-face -face eternal relationship and intimacy and equality. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always been pre-existing, and they've always pre-existed in this eternal, beautiful, intimate relationship. So, man, you can just check off the box that God created you because he was lonely. He just was like, man, I just need a friend, so like, I'll just make this person so I can hang out with somebody. No, in fact, the reason why we're so high on community and there's a reason why we're so high on, on needing one another and a family is because God created us out of his own image, which was a communal image. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, always together, pre-existing together. And the word, he, if you haven't grasped it already, he says the word was God. He was God in every way, in essence, and in character. He was God. Man, in this sentence alone in Scripture is packed some of the richest theology of Jesus that you'll find in Scripture. That he was always there. He was always there in relationship with God, and he was God himself. And not only has he eternally existed with God, as God, but he actually, it says, he created everything. It's fascinating. He says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So he's saying is that all things came into being through the word and not anything came into being without him. So everything I mean, you look at, no matter where you've been or what you've looked at or what visual you've seen, Jesus created it all. The most beautiful mountain you've ever been. Man, we were in Nepal. We hiked up to some pretty amazing uh, villages and overlooking thousands of, uh, of 
just seeing miles because you're up thousands of feet up in the air, up on the mountain, and you're looking out, and it's stunning and overwhelming and beautiful. And you look out, and every detail Jesus spoke into existence. Jesus created it all. Now, you might say, like, how was Jesus the creator of the universe? You might ask, like, where was he in creation, in the creation story? Some of you might already know this, but I just want to point it out. God the Father was there, and he was speaking things into existence, right? And the Spirit was there. It says the, the Spirit was hovering over the face of the water. But where's Jesus? Well, remember, Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus didn't have flesh until he came as a man, right? And so in the beginning, Jesus was actually the Word of God, which was spoken, which created everything. Every time God said, let there be Jesus created. Let there be this Jesus created. And now all that you see and experience and know and even yourself was created by Jesus. Pretty unbelievable. A couple chapters later in John chapter 8, Jesus actually was accused of being possessed by a demon. He's accused of a lot of different things in the Gospels. He's, possessed by, he's accused of being possessed by a demon and he was asked if he's greater than Abraham. So Abraham's a pretty big deal. He's a patriarch of their, of their faith, the Jewish people. He says, man, are you greater than Abraham? And he replies, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, you might be like, wow, okay, that's, that's, that's cool, but it's pretty significant for them. Do you remember the story of Moses? God asked Moses to go rescue the, the Israelite people from Egypt. And, and he says, man, at least. He goes back and forth. But eventually he's like, man, just tell me your name so I can say who, who I'm coming in behalf. And God says, I am that I am. Literally what he says is, I be. My name is Yahweh. I be. I always have been being. I am. So he says, man, before Abraham was, I am. Next couple chapters, he, he shares and replies to them and says this, speaking of himself, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Now listen to this last phrase, I and the father are one. So, so what's Jesus saying here in both these scenarios? He says, man, before Abraham, I am. I know that I've only been born as a human for this amount of years, but before Abraham, I was there. And my father and I, we're one. In both of these cases, the, 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 the Jews picked up rocks and wanted to stone him. Now, why would they want to stone somebody who was just replying to their question? The reason why they wanted to stone him was because he was actually responding in a way that he was claiming to be deity. He was claiming to be God. He was saying, I am. My father and I are one. And Jesus shines the light on God because of his relationship with God, which is he is God. He's always existed in perfect communal relationship, and he is the incarnate God. So, man, I, I don't know who you are online or in this room. I don't know every one of you, but no matter your thoughts on the matter, it doesn't matter. Scripture clearly articulates that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Lord, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. He's always existed in perfect relationship with his Father. He wasn't just a good man. He wasn't even the greatest man to ever live. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords that has always been and is now incarnate. Jesus Christ. 
Philippians, right? It says, Philippians chapter 2, it says, Though he was in the form of God, he did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taken on the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men. So, so I just ask you, at the begin, like I said at the beginning, I'll ask you this over and over again, do you believe this? Those of you watching online, do you believe this? Jesus shines the light on God through his relationship with God. So it just begs the question, do you have a relationship with God? That's the beauty of it, is that Jesus has always existed in perfect communal relationship with God, the Father, and God the Spirit, and he created us in his image to have relationship with him, but sin and brokenness separated that so that we could no longer have this beautiful, deep, profound relationship with God until Christ came and made a way by what he did on the cross for us. And I just ask you, have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Do you have a relationship with God? And how you respond to that will affect your life now and for eternity. I'll come back to that in a moment. Let's continue on in verse 9. It says this, The true light, which gives light to everyone, John chapter 1 and verse 9, which give light to, gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Verse 12, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, it's a key word, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor the will of man but of God. And so what we see now is not just shining the light on his God through his relationship with it, but he shines the light on God by enlightening everyone who believes in him to literally open their eyes to the truth of the gospel. And he starts in verse 9 by saying the true light. Now this is important. He uses the word true here in several other places as he talks about true worshipers, true bread, true vine, the true God. And what he's trying to say here is that he is authentic. He's stressing the fact that the word was the true light. He wasn't just another light. He wasn't just some random light. He wasn't just meant a, another beam of light. He is the true, the only light, he says. And in verse 9... He says, man, the light, he gives the light to everyone coming into the world. In verse 10, excuse me, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And then in verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Now, I'll tell you, in verses 10 and 11, there is a thick amount of tragic irony in, that, in those two verses. Like tragic irony. Jesus, the word think about this, was in the world, the world that he actually himself created, and yet the people of the world did not know him. But not only did they not know him, he created everything, he comes to the world, they did not know him, but not only did they not know him, but they didn't actually receive him. Many came into the world and the people that he created and was by and large rejected by everyone. Like, he created it perfect. He created it for relationship. They messed it up. They caused this tragic displacement in their relationship. And yet, by his goodness and grace and his mercy, came after the people, all people, and his own people, and they, by and large, rejected him. Now, when he says his own, what he's specifically talking about here is the Jewish people. Jesus, the word, the creator of all, came to his own creation and was rejected. Now, I'll just say this here. I might bring it up later, but 
This is just a reminder for you, for you, for you, and everyone watching, myself included, as I look in the mirror every Sunday, this is a reminder that you can be really, really religious and still miss the true light of the world. You can have all of the right religious answers. You can be the people that are closest to Jesus and still not know Jesus. You can be the people that are born into the right family, have the right connections, have the right amount of money. All of the stuff that the world elevates and still not know Jesus, still miss the light of the world. You can come to church every Sunday and sit in these chairs and still miss the light of the world. You can still be born into a Christian family and still miss the true light of the world. The Jewish people who, man, the religious elite, the right-wing conservatives of their day, who had all of the right scriptural teachings, all of the right knowledge, missed the true light of the world. May it be a humbling fact for each one of us in this room to make sure that we know Jesus. We don't just know about him. We just don't know the right stuff. We're not just coming to the right place that knows him, but we know him, right? But not all rejected him, right? Not everyone missed the true light. Some believed. And he says to them, he, he, to those who received him, right? Well, what does it mean to receive him? Well, it says it right in the text, who believed in his name. So to receive him means you believe in his name. And when you believe in a name that stands for a person, you're believing in what that person stands for. So believing in Jesus, that's what it's receiving him. Man, you want to know what it looks like for you to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior is to believe in him, believe in his teachings, believe in what he's uh, pushing forward as the revelation of God is what he's saying. Receiving him means receiving his teachings and his revelation. So he says to those people who received him by believing in him, he says this, this fascinating word. He says the, he gave them the right to become children of God. Now, throughout the scriptures, in other translations, you might read something other than the ESV. Um, the word can also be translated power. So you might read, to those who received him, he gave the power to become the children of God. I think they're both very strong words for the translation and mean just about the same thing because it's only, what he's saying in the text, is it's only through Jesus, the word, who gives us the right and the power to become the children of God. You don't get to God if it's not with Jesus, is what he's saying. Through those who, who believe in Jesus, who, who put their faith and trust in Jesus, who receive his teachings, receive the revelation of God, those people are given the right, the power to become the children of God. And I'll just remind us again in this place, man, it is by no means of yourself that you get to Jesus. He, he says there in the text, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I mean, just a couple chapters later, it's fascinating how that transition happens as you become a child of God. But Jesus does his best to explain it in, in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus when he says you must be born again, right? Not of, not of, 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 of flesh, but actually of spirit, right? And he's saying that same thing here, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, Man, you can't will your way to Jesus. 
You can't will your way to God if you're here today. You can't do enough good to get to God. You can't be born into it. The only way in which anyone in all of time ever gets to be with God, reconciled back together with God, and are placed with him for all of eternity, the only way is through Jesus Christ. The only way. He says, man, you can't do this on your own. It's only by the power and the right given by Jesus Christ to those who believe and trust in Jesus. I said, in this section, Jesus shines the light on God by enlightening everyone who believes in him. Now, the word enlightened means to gain greater knowledge or understanding. And that's exactly what Jesus does when he comes as the light of the world, as he enters into the world. He's shining the light on God by showing and revealing and enlightening all of those who will trust, place their faith in, receive him. He's enlightening them to who God truly is and allowing them to become the children of God. Man, I just, I feel as though many times, and maybe even this morning again, this is just kind of going... And I feel like, man, this is a this is a unbelievable, profound truth. Profound. I'll just tell you, it is incomprehensible to me that God, the creator of all things, the one who upholds all things by the will of his power, as scripture says, should enable me, one who has rejected him, to become his child. That is an unbelievable truth. That we are even just allowed to become the children of God. And we need to marvel not only at the greatness of Christ, but we need to marvel at the absurdity of his love towards us. The absurdity No one in this room, no one watching online, including myself, deserves the love of God. It's absurd that he would leave heaven, come to earth, and put on measly flesh, be born of a virgin, walk perfectly, do everything perfectly right, and yet still be murdered for it and placed on a cross break his relationship with his father, which has been pre-existing for all of time, that his father would turn his back on him because he cannot be in the presence of sin. And we, we get the opposite, man. We get the righteousness of God. We get the perfect life he lived. We get the reconciliation back into true relationship with God. That should blow us away. And that should drive us to our knees. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, for, for 11 chapters, he's just been just telling the Roman church of all that they have in Christ over and over and over again, who they are in Christ. And he gets to chapter 12 and verse 1, he says, he calls them, he says, I beg of you, literally, by the mercies of God, to do what? Our only response, your only response, my only response. that we would be so blown away by the mercies of God that we would present our bodies as living sacrifices. That I would wake up every single day and say, Hi, God, how do I die to me, live for you? I am a living sacrifice. I sacrifice all of my needs, wants, desires, finances, skills. All that I have is on the altar today for you as a living sacrifice, God. Holy and acceptable. Man, the best of the best. God doesn't get my second 
second best. He doesn't get what's left over from my highfalutin job. He doesn't get what's left over from, from, from what my desires are. He gets the best, right? Which is your spiritual worship. It's really your only response. It's a life of worship to God. The only response, the fact that our eyes have been opened to the true light is to offer him our lives. But man, the same is true today. As in Jesus' day, many still don't receive him. People are still rejecting Jesus, the light of the world. Man, I, I just can only compel you enough in this place or online today. Don't reject Jesus. Receive, respond by believing and receiving who he is today. And he will give you today the power to become the child of God. And just a reminder again, man, People are still rejecting him. You might not outwardly reject him in this place or watching online. You might not be saying, I reject Jesus, but you might be one who does. Right? Those that should have received him didn't. Those that had all of the right knowledge and answers didn't, predominantly, right? And I just remind you again, you could be super religious, Super religious and still not receive and believe in Jesus. There's people all over the world. I experienced a ton of Hindu people. They're super religious in Nepal and in India. We passed by countries of people that were Muslim, very religious, devout, probably more devout than most of us in this room, and they're still missing Jesus. And there's people in this church and every campus of Woodside and every other church around the country that might be really religious, but they're still missing Jesus. You don't know him. He came, but his own people did not know him. I pray that's not you today. I pray that you know the Lord. You're not just coming to church out of some religious thing you do because you've been doing it your whole life, but you know the Lord. You love the Lord, and you are not perfect. You're fumbling right on the one-yard line, and you're not doing the best job, but you're at least progressing in your sanctification to become more like Jesus. Man, I just want to encourage believers as well. Today, not everyone you share Christ with is going to accept it. Right? So don't like get your mindset out that like, man, every person, I know Jim's going to tell me at the end of the service that I need to invest and invite and invest in someone and invite them to church. <laughs> and most people are rejecting me. Jim, great. Most people rejected Jesus. You're in good company. According to the parable of the sower, three quarters of the people are going to reject. It's going to fall on three bad soils. Right? But that doesn't mean I stop scattering the seed. That doesn't mean I stop preaching Jesus. That doesn't mean I stop loving people in Jesus' name. That doesn't mean I stop doing the things of Jesus. Because according to Jesus, most of your life is going to be a life of rejection. And that's awesome. That's awesome. Because you're following after the ways of Jesus. Then lastly... In verse 14 and verse 18, I just want to read them quickly. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The last way Jesus shines a light on God is physically making him known. Physically making him known. He started in verse 14. Uh, it actually harkens all the way back to verse 9, and it explains how the word became flesh, right? 
how the word came into the world. It says that he became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, the term used to really describe that is incarnation. And it's a shorthand verse for or word for enfleshing of God, the eternal son, into human form. So the incarnation of Jesus, when he left heaven, came to earth, he says, and the word became flesh, he incarnated into the world, right? His divine nature is married to his human nature. Now, I just want to be abundantly clear with you here today. Jesus is not a divine being who, who pretends to be human, and nor is he a, a human who becomes divine. He's fully human, and he's fully divine all at the same time. And how that works, I'd love to know. That's, that's what Scripture teaches. He wasn't divine and became human. He wasn't human and became divine. He's fully divine, fully human. And it's a big theological word we use called the hypostatic union of Christ. He is fully human and yet fully God all at the same time, right? And he says this amazing phrase, and this is where it gets really, really cool, I'll just be honest with you. This is why a light reading the Bible sometimes does not do. God is saying so much more in this text than we just read it and be like, oh yeah, that's pretty cool. Jesus came to the earth. He's pointing to things. He's tying the Old Testament to the New Testament, right? The phrase dwelt among us is a Greek word that literally means pitched his tent or tabernacled. Does that sound familiar? He dwelt among us. This is an illusion pointing back all the way to the time when God's presence was the people of Israel and he tabernacled amid, the, uh, amid them in the desert as they wandered around. He was tabernacled in them. So, right? So, this is what he's saying. So, just as God's presence was dwelling among the people of Israel in a tabernacle, now the presence of God is dwelling among the people as the incarnate Lord Jesus, the Word. Pretty amazing and profound. And the result, he says, is that his, 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 his glory has been seen by John and others as we have seen his glory. And that is yet another phrase that points back to the people of Israel. Exodus says, Upon Moses' completion of the tabernacle, this is what scripture says in Exodus. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had entered or settled upon it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, right? So again, just as the glory of the Lord previously was present in the tabernacle amidst the, the people of Israel, now the, the, the presence of God, the glory of God is in the presence of Jesus, the word made flesh, so that his glory can be seen by all. Pretty profound and amazing. He says no one's ever seen God because God's invisible but the word, Jesus, he is God. And he became flesh. And if it wasn't enough, as he already said in verse 1, he says, the only God who is at the beginning, who is at the Father's side, he was with God and was God. Man, believer, today, there's something final and definitive about God's revelation of himself in Jesus. Jesus, you can write this down, is the climax to the biblical story. He is the climax to all that you read in Scripture, right? 
Hebrews 1, 1 through C says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance, listen to this, of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's a big God. Jesus isn't some small human being. He is divine. And he shines the light on God physically by making him known because he's the exact imprint of his natures. He's exactly who he is. I wrote this this sermon for all of the Woodside campuses and as I was studying, I came across this story that really I feel like pushes forward what I'm trying to explain here. It's a story of a guy by the name of Tom Wright. He was the chaplain or one of the chaplains at Worcester College in Oxford. He says this, For seven years I was a college chaplain at Worcester College, Oxford. Each year I used to see the first year undergrads individually for a few minutes to welcome them to the college and make a first acquaintance. Most were happy to meet me, but many commended um, But many commended, often with slight embarrassment, you won't be seeing much of me. You see, I don't believe in God. I developed a stock response. Oh, that's interesting. Which God is it that you don't believe in? This used to surprise them, and they mostly regarded the word God as an um, univocal, always meaning the same things. So they would stumble on a few phrases about God they said they did not believe in, a being who lived up in the sky looking down disappointingly at the world, occasionally intervening to do miracles, sending bad people to hell while allowing other people to the shares of heaven. Again, I had a stock response for this very common statement of spy-in-the-sky theology. Well, I'm not surprised. You don't believe in that God. I don't believe in that God either. At this point, the undergrad would, would look startled and then perhaps a faint look of recognition. It was sometimes rumored that half the college chaplains at Oxford were atheists. No, I would say, I believe the God I see revealed in Jesus of Nazareth. You see, the reason why I share that is because it makes my point abundantly clear. The God of the Bible is very different from maybe you watching online or you in this room, very different than the cultural images of him found on TV programs religious programs, or false teachers of the Bible. Rather, the God we believe in in this place is the God who is revealed in and through Jesus of Nazareth in the Scriptures. As Martin Luther once said, no other God have I but thee, born in a manger, died on a tree. This is who we believe in as God. The incarnate Jesus is made known to us. Man, if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. If you're just seeking, if you want to know how uh, Jesus would live his life today, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God would interact with the world, look at Jesus. We need to read that one a lot more. If we want to know how Jesus would love the world, look at Jesus. If we want to know how how to, to live, look at Jesus. You get the point. Jesus defines the meaning of what we say when we say we believe in God. Jesus makes God visible. Man, it make Christians, all of us in this room live and act and love and give and speak and walk like Jesus because God has made him known to us. So I'll go back to my original question as I finish. What is your view of Jesus? 
in a world of a lot of fake news, if I can say that, there's a lot of different views and perspectives of Jesus. What's your view? Who is he to you? Again, the answers to these questions will radically define your life now and your eternity. And if you're here or online and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, today is your day. He's not just a man. He's the God-man, the incarnate Christ who came to save you from your sin and your brokenness. Don't look. Man, we get so hung up in the world today. Man, the, the, world, the church is just full of hypocrites. Can I just tell you? Man, that's the way it actually should be. We shouldn't be hypocrites, but I'm just telling you, when you go to the gym, do you go to the gym and see all fit people? No, you see most people that are like trying to get through it because they're trying to get somewhere and they struggle along the way. There's only really a few people that are really fit and got it all together. The rest of them are just struggling to try and get in shape. And that's the church, man. We're all hypocrites trying to get in shape. And the best place for us is in the church to get better. I mean, so many people today get hung up because they see Christians and they're like, well, if that's the God of the Bible, I don't want the God of the Bible. Man, don't look at broken people that call themselves Christians to see the image of God. Look to Jesus. Don't look at TV programs or false teachers to see the image of God. Look at Jesus, the incarnate Christ who shines a light on God, who shows God perfectly. Put all of your faith, trust, hope, desire, longings in that God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And follow him with all that you have. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for who you are and who you reveal yourself to be in scripture. God, thanks for the picture of yourself that we can desire after, that we can walk after. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you are and all that you've given us in yourself, that you didn't just come to the earth in a swoop and took some people, but you came and lived and dwelt among us. You tabernacled among us. And when I look at scripture, I wasn't there 2,000 years ago, God, but I'm so glad and so happy that you kept scripture for me to see and to know who you are and what you've done. May we be a people in this place that has a huge view of Jesus, that that name is the only name whereby all knees will bow and every tongue will confess, whether they did it on earth or not, one day every tongue will confess, Lord, that you are Lord Jesus. May we be faithful, Lord, as followers of Jesus, not that we would be hypocrites, but we're gonna struggle. May we in this room If there's people in this room that don't know you, Lord, may they cry out to you now and say, man, I receive you, I believe you. I don't even know how the cross accounts for me, but it does, like the thief on the cross. And may the rest of us in the room that call ourselves believers, God, would you help us to come out of maybe people in this room that are struggling or struggling to believe you, struggling to follow you, that are walking in sin. May we be people that walk after you live after you as you are the perfect image of the God of the universe. You are the God of the universe, Jesus. It's only in you that we have all of our hope. In Jesus' name, amen.